Hello, uh, our friends who is watching us tonight. And today we are in session for the Ask Pastor Rod. And we have a couple of questions uh, what, which people send us tonight. So I will ask Pastor Rod. If you have any more questions, you can sh sh in chat so we can read them or not. But um, if we will have time, so we will answer your question also. And um, how are you doing, Pastor Rod, tonight? All things considered, I'm doing okay. Um, I am in a little pain. I did pull my back out again. It seems to happen quite a bit. But well, apart from that, I'm doing fine. Thanks. Great. I'm just checking <laughs> if we are uh, receiving the sound. So it looks like we are fine. Good. So that's a good news. So we're still trying our new equipment and we hope it's going to run uh, smoothly tonight. And we have a couple of questions sure. uh, which we can start with. So, uh, and you are pastor of the Gateway Bible Church in Castorale, right? For people who don't yes, know. Yes, I am. Maybe someone uh, watching us. So that, and wh why I'm asking, uh, why I'm asking is uh, because there is the question we can uh, like answer to, to people to know what is the mission of Gateway Bible Church? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. Um, you know, we, we actually took quite a bit of time to, to pray through and talk through establishing the mission for our church. Um, call it the vision mission statement. And um, there are a number of components to it. I mean, I'll, I'll say what it is. It's, you know, we exist to glorify God by building a community of believers who are actively committed to knowing, applying, and proclaiming the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's a long statement, but we, we, we kind of summarize that by saying knowing, applying, and proclaiming. But there's a, there's a context to all that. First of all, we're a community of believers, so we exist to glorify God. That's our primary purpose, right? By building a community of believers. So we're, we're seeking to build a community of, of, of people who are truly born again, truly um, followers of Christ. But then we, we emphasize who are actively committed. Not just that we believe certain things, but there's some, there's some, some active pursuit, there's some active um, approach, uh, there, there's, there's movement, there's discipleship going on, there's an eagerness. So this activity is really important in, in, in the statement. Um, and, and then we drive home these three principles, uh, to, to know, to apply and proclaim. And of course, you can't apply something you don't know. And you can't proclaim something you don't know. So certainly one of the first things that we need to do is we need to seek to have a, a better understanding of the Word of God and what God has revealed about Himself, what He's revealed to us um, in His Word, whether they are uh, aspects of who He is and how He works or whether they're um, imperatives or commands for us to obey. And so we want to emphasize knowing, not, not just for the sake of, of having, you know, having a, a folder and having notes and just saying, I have all this knowledge, but we realize that, that knowledge is, is necessary for, for wisdom, for understanding, um, but that knowledge then must be applied. So we, we're, we're seeking to emphasize knowledge and then the application of that knowledge. And of course, that's going to flesh out, certainly in a Sunday morning sermon, mm -hmm. 
but it's going to flesh out more in home groups, in one-on-one uh, -on -one discussions, um, and just trying to figure out how, how does it actually work in, in my life where I live. And then, of course, in order to be able to proclaim, the question is, what do we proclaim? Well, obviously, we're going to say it's the gospel, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not just the gospel, but there are aspects of the gospel or the truth of God's word that can be shared, can be communicated. So proclamation doesn't miss, always mean standing up and proclaiming like a pastor. It just means in the course of your life, having the freedom and the, the ability and the knowledge that you can actually communicate God's truth to people. And this is what God's word says, and here's why we do what we do. Um, and then we emphasized um, the, the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the word of God, of course, would be from you know, Genesis to Revelation. And of course, the heart of, of that would be the gospel message. I mean, that's ultimately what the word of God is about, is to reveal God and his glory and the beautiful, wonderful declaration, demonstration of his sovereign love for us and sending a son to die on the cross for our sins and bringing reconciliation. And so, um, yeah, so th that's kind of how we thought through it. And we wanted it to be something that, that would, would permeate through all that we do. So even when we think about missions, we're asking ourselves, is what we're doing helping to further knowing, applying, and proclaiming? Mm -hmm. um, are we doing that with our youth ministry as we, would, as we grow our youth ministry? Is that going to be the focus? Are we seeking to help them grow in their knowledge and their application and their proclamation? And certainly in that context, there's going to be time for fun and games and, and just laughing. But it also needs to be central that we are fleshing out our, our mission and our vision. So. Um, it took a while to kind of think it through, but I do think it's a, uh, I do think it's it's a robust statement, and I think it's something that has served us well mm -hmm. in thinking through what we're doing and why we're doing it, um, not just from the pulpit, but just throughout the the kind of different areas of our ministry. Um, so that's what our church is is all about. Um, that's what we're trying to to anchor ourselves in, and we think it's a pretty accurate reflection of um, what God's Word says. Let me just kind of take you to one passage of Scripture, mm -hmm. and that would be the book of Ezra. This is so fun when I, uh, I was teaching on this with um, our men a few years ago. And um, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, of course, this is for, um, for pastors in particular, but I think it's helpful to, to read this. It says, for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. I mean, if you want to summarize what Ezra was about, mm -hmm. it was setting his heart to study the law, knowing, to do it, application, and then to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's proclamation. Mm -hmm. Now, we actually, I didn't have that verse in mind. We didn't have that verse in mind when we put together our, our mission statement. But God has affirmed it over and over again. And this is just one of those places where we think that we've, we've captured the essence of things that are a priority for what it means to be a church in this mission statement. So, Thank you so much yeah. for clarity. And uh, it's helpful to know about Gateway, a little bit more information. And, and 
for me it's also when we came to the church with my wife uh, at first time so there was on a screen mm -hmm. um, no any proclaim proclaiming so it's kind of like always on display the mm -hmm. mission of a gateway right and, and uh, that is a good thing because we want to keep that before the people but the other side is it, it can be so familiar that we don't even pay attention to it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I would just encourage anyone who's, who's, uh, who's listening, uh, who's a part of our church, seek to memorize this um, and, and seek to really, in memorizing it, meditate on what it is that is being fleshed out with this. And um, um, that will help you think through what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing at Gateway. And we're always open to finding new ways to apply, in particular, those three principles. Yeah, and I like how you approach the first step is to knowing, because without knowledge, you, you can't really worship, you can't right. really apply if you don't know. Right. So yep. this, uh, thank you so much. And let's go to the second question. Okay. So like, uh, we have another about Gateway. So and why is Gateway Bible Church committed to expository preaching teaching oh wow um so yeah this could get me in trouble in some circles um <laughs> uh, and i think it's a very misunderstood thing so let me just first of all back up and say that um, there are different philosophies out there as to what healthy preaching looks like okay um and uh i know i my, my dissertation study was was kind of evaluating pastors in the east bay on this very topic i think there's also a misunderstanding as to what um, expository or expositional preaching is some people think of it as a a style of preaching oh you're a person who does uh, expositional preaching that means that you you preach through a passage and you just let the passage say what it says all right that's fine um i'm a i'm a topical sermon uh preacher therefore i I find a topic and I seek to find a, scriptures to support that topic. In other words, it's just another one of the methods or another one of the styles. And um, so my answer to your question is, why is Gateway Bible Church committed to expository preaching? Here's my answer. It's going to seem rather radical. And the answer is this, because without expository preaching, you don't have true preaching. Hmm. Okay, Not because it's a better style, but because... It is a philosophy about how you approach the Word of God. Um, the Word of God has been given to us by God. It's been breathed out by Him through various authors. And God is saying one specific thing to or through a particular writer to a particular audience. They have a message that they are seeking to get across. God is breathing that out through that particular individual. And so we must approach the Word of God in a way to say, God has breathed something out. I don't want to mess it up. And I want to make sure I actually get the, the right understanding of what it is that he said. If I were to be a topical preacher, or what's very, very popular, a series preachers, um, and, and so many of these guys, are, they're good brothers, but it's just they're, they're committed to different things, okay? But they'll say, all right, I, have, I want to talk on this topic. And then they'll go and try and find a passage that supports that topic. All right? Or they'll find a variety of verses to support what it is that they want to say. They're actually not necessarily preaching the Word of God. They're using the Word of God 
to preach. But that's different than actually preaching the Word of God. So, for example, we're going through Exodus right now, and we could be talking about you know, the, the character of a hard-hearted man, mm -hmm. and we would focus on Pharaoh. And we could pull all sorts of different things about a hard-hearted man. Okay, great, there, there's a truth there. But you've got to be careful because there are other things in the context of the story that are what we need. It's not inappropriate to, to pull that out, but what happens with topical preaching is a lot of things are not addressed, a lot of things are not said that God has breathed out for his people, right? Mm -hmm. And so let me continue to think it through it this way. So I think faithful expositional preaching is when the, the um, structure, the um, emphasis, and the intent of the sermon reflects the structure, emphasis, and the intent of the text. Mm -hmm. In other words, when God breathed out his word, he breathed it out with a structure. There's a reason why things are put in the order that they're in. Just like what we're doing right now through, through Exodus and we're going through the plagues, there's a structure. Remember the three sets of three, and then there's the final plague, and then you have this, this kind of first of the set of the three going down, and usually longer, middle, shorter, you have in the morning, you have in the palace, and you have no warning whatsoever. There's a structure there. Mm -hmm. And they all end up with, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, or God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So all that's working there. God wants us to see the structure. And when we see the structure, it reveals an emphasis. Mm -hmm. And that emphasis then is what rises up. And our job is to see what is the intent then of that author for his original readers. So that's why we're saying in, in Exodus, and I'm using that for you that don't go to our church, um, and we're, that's what we're working through right now, but we want to we want to hear what is it that Moses is seeking to say to that second generation in the wilderness who have not experienced the slavery that their parents and grandparents experienced in Egypt. He wants them to remember, mm -hmm. and he wants them to be able to continue to tell the story. And so he has a purpose, a specific purpose behind what he's saying. Well, expositional preaching then seeks to figure that out, and so. My job every week is to be like a detective. I jump into the text and I am I'm trying to figure out what is God saying? What's the structure? Trying to figure that out. What's the emphasis? And the structure and, and it will reveal the emphasis and then the emphasis will lead us to, to the, that, that main idea that is driving this text, right? Unfortunately, much preaching is um, potentially, we want to avoid um, what's called inebriated preaching. It's kind of a funny term um, uh, thought through by David Helm. And he basically says that that kind of preaching is when it's like a drunk leaning up against a, a lamppost. And what happens there is the drunk is leaning up against the lamppost, but the purpose of the lamppost isn't for you to lean against, it's to receive light. And so th that illustration helps us to understand that Many times, a pastor can lean against God's word to say what he wants it to say. But that isn't what the word of God actually says, okay? Mm -hmm. So I think, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of that kind of preaching going on where, where you know, a pastor or someone, a teacher says, I want to teach on this, or I want to I make sure my people know this, or I want to 
I want to somehow stir things up in a particular direction. So I'm going to use God's word to make my point. And that may be so far from what scripture is actually saying in the passages that are used. Another, I think, struggle is, and I've, I've seen this through the years, um, and, and this, I've seen this actually in, in men that if I name their names, you would know them, um, where it's more like, well, I was reading through this passage and um, you know, just three things just kind of jumped out at me. I just felt this is what God wanted me to share. And so the kind of the, the three things that just jump out of the text. Well, those things might be in the text, but that is not preaching the text. That's just preaching some thoughts, some inspirational thoughts that you somehow think the Holy Spirit has pinged you with. Um, but that's not expositional preaching. So pr typically, expository preaching is going to work through a book of the Bible because we want to see the text in its context to be able to understand the intent of the author and what he's saying to that original audience and then to, to, to think about that uh, theologically so that we can eventually figure out how that applies to us. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's, it's a, there's a process to it. But it's not so much a style as it is a philosophy. You're saying, this is the word of God. God has spoken. My job is then to see what is there and to be able to connect that then to today in appropriate ways. Um, so that's kind of a, <laughs> a long answer, but it's, mm -hmm. it's why we're committed to this. Yeah. And um, you know, the thing that I have seen through the years is how God uses um, certain passages of scripture to meet the needs of people that would be far better than if I sat back and thought to myself, well, what would be a really good passage to teach on this? God's word has this way of being relevant when we just allow it to be mined and, and, and taught as it is. Um, I think people realize this is God at work speaking through his word. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, so... For those who are uh, watching us uh, and not from Gateway Bible Church, we have our website, gatewaylife.org, and there is a series of uh, exposition on the, um, on the books from the Bible you can listen to. You can also like listen to us on podcast uh, on iTunes, Gateway Bible Church, Castro Valley. So check us out, and there is a lot of uh, Bible books in exposition from Pastor Rod, you can you can go through, and we continue our questions. What we have for tonight? Yeah. And are you feeling good? I'm fine. Yeah, okay. it's good. Thank you for your answers. I, I think it's really powerful to hear and and know why Gateway Bible Church mm -hmm. in this direction. Mm -hmm. So the third question it was, what does that mean that Gateway Bible Church is committed? to biblical manhood and womanhood. Yeah. You know, we have some kind of Yeah, well, that's one, of, that's one of our core values. You know, when a church starts, one of the things you, you're trying to figure out, you know, what, what are our doctrinal statement, but then what are going to be some things that, that kind of guide us or say, this marks us out as being um, either unique or by virtue of, of, of kind of communicating it as a core value, we're saying, this is something missing in culture that we want to emphasize is important. Um, and this certainly is one of them. And I think, uh, I think over the past 30, 40 years, there, there has been this, um, 
uh, aggressive erosion in the church's understanding of sexuality and the role of men and women um, from, a, from a biblical perspective. And what we found is that it's been shaped far more by the culture than it is shaped by what the Word of God says. And you know, let me give you a, just kind of a, an anecdote a story from my time doing ministry in Russia. Um, and I would, I would meet with these pastors for like two weeks at a time. I was doing, um, I was teaching through the general epistles um, and uh, they were just soaking it all up and they loved to study God's word and they asking all sorts of questions. And it was just really a great time. And then we get to First Peter and there's some specific instructions about the relationship between a husband and wife in First Peter. And of course I took that as an opportunity to also go to Ephesians and other places. And these Russian brothers, they just started laughing. They just started laughing at what the Word of God says. Like, oh, no, no, we're, we're not going to do that, you know? They were, they were eager to serve the Lord as pastors, but their culture had so much of a grip on them that they could not even imagine that what is in God's Word is actually what would take place in their, in their marriages. And, um, you know, so I had to be very, very careful but clear and to say, look, this is what word, God's Word says. If you are rebelling against this, if your culture says something different than this, then the issue is not the Word of God, the issue is the culture. And, I mean, slowly over time, these guys started to open up and say, okay, we understand this a little bit more. Right? So you, have, you, ha you do have an extreme over here, this patriarchy, this kind of man's in control kind of mentality, even within the body of Christ, right? Then you have on the other side, this um, women's liberation movement, you know, the, the, the uh, sexual confusion kind of uh, activity and thinking that's, that's, that's kind of uh, just blown into our culture over these years. And now you have churches that are saying, well, you know, uh, Scripture isn't clear on this, and we can have women who are going to be pastors and women who are going to be elders, right? And again, this is anecdotal, this is, this is what I observe, is that churches that tend to go down that path find themselves in difficulty because they have been very careless in how they've handled the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And if they're willing to be careless in that area, then what ends up happening is they're careless in other areas. And it ends up being a snowball, and they end up being what we would call theological liberals. They don't actually believe the Bible is God's Word. Um, you know, we emphasize the, the red letters, Jesus' words over Paul. So Paul, he was against women, but Jesus loved women, you see. So we emphasize this. So th they just kind of abuse and misuse the Word of God in that sense. So you have these kind of two extremes, and um, they're there, and they're there within Christianity. Um, and what we want to make sure that, that, that we are saying is that, whoa, 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 God has spoken. And God has spoken so that men and women can be used um, and, and to serve him um, to, to the fullest in every way possible. That's our desire at Gateway is wherever God gives freedom for men and women to serve, let's let them serve. Certainly, obviously, they have to have gifts and things like that. The exception to that would be when God says, well, this particular area of ministry is only for men. And those we see in Scripture would be the role of pastor-teacher and the role of the elder. 
Um, and so uh, we would say that is uniquely a male role in the church. That's not because we have an attitude or anything against women and, or that we're smarter than women and that kind of stuff. It's an issue of giftedness and it's also a gift, uh, an issue of faithfulness. But that's also why in our church, you know, obviously we're doing live stream right now, but uh, many Sundays you'll come in and we'll have women involved in our worship service. We'll have women who are reading scripture. We're not afraid for women to be used in whatever capacity God gives freedom for them to be used. But there are some roles in particular that God says this is uniquely for a man. And uh, so we just wanted to make sure in that, in that core value that we were, we were emphasizing a desire to liberate both men and women, but also at the same time be faithful to scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, our culture thinks that that's just male patriarchy, right? And, you know, this is horrible that men would stop women from doing that, except it's not male patriarchy. It's called faithfulness to God's word. And having said that, unfortunately, in the history of the church and even in contemporary churches today, there, can, there has been and there can be a heavy-handed patriarchy that still says women should be silent, they shouldn't speak in church, they shouldn't be, you know, whenever there's, there's any teaching going on, even in a small group, they need to be quiet and listen to their husbands and that kind of stuff. That's just nonsense, right? There, there's freedom within the body of Christ for men and women to interact together. Um, and I, so I think there, there's, there are bad examples out there. And so it's also there to counteract those. Um, it's so, so the emphasis here is to say we want clarity in this area and we want to make sure that that's from scripture. It's not, it's not something we're just not going to talk about and just, you know, what does your church believe? No, we believe very, very clearly. The, the beautiful roles and functions that God has laid out for both men and women to bring glory to his name in being the family, uh, the, the marriage unit, as well as being involved in the church. Um, so that's in a, you know in a summary that's that's the point and that's where we're trying to where we're trying to go with that. Thank you so much. It's, thank you so much for this deep answer. So I think it's answered the question uh, of the people. Uh, and um, another question we receive is: uh, I'm interested. Uh, someone from our church. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm interested in uh, your personal view of opening our church on May 31st. As there seems to be a push for California churches to reopen on that particular date, which is Pentecost Sunday. I'm really missing the personal face-to-face interaction with our church body. Doom, Zoom and uh, live streaming are okay. And I'm thankful for them, but they are not the same as a real. There is a former president of the United States that was well known for saying, I feel your pain, <laughs> um, and I, I feel their pain. I think, I think we all are longing to meet together as a corporate body um, and, and, and you know, kind of jump back into church, and um, I think we, you know, we're longing for that. So let's at least, at least get, that, get that out there. I do think, though, that um, here in California in particular, there's been, a, I think, a movement of some churches um, to say, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to defy the governor's orders and we're going to meet regardless of what he says. And they've chosen that day. Of course, there, there's that, um, 
idea that it's a, it's a Pentecost Sunday or, or whatever, um, I think it's misguided. I think they're, they're, they're fighting a battle that is not actually even a battle. And uh, the reason I think it's misguided is because our, our governor has not targeted Christians. He's not targeted um, churches. He has said that no groups can meet that are, you know, over 10 at this point in time. So you're not, it's not like you're driving down the street and there's, there's, there's a mosque and there's a whole bunch of people meeting there or you drive by a synagogue and there's a whole bunch of people there, but the Christians, oh, you can't do this. No, this is for sports events. This is, this is across the board. So this is not for uh, an attack against Christianity. This is, in their minds, for the, the health of, of the people within their, their state. Now, we can disagree with it. We can disagree with the science behind it. We can disagree with a, a lot of it, but um, we need to be obedient to what Romans 13 uh, tells us. Let me, let's just go to Romans 13 for a moment and just remind ourselves what, uh, what the Word of God says here. And I think, I think this clarifies some things. So this is Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority ex- uh, except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. All right? We have a responsibility to obey our authorities, even if they're pagan authorities. And uh, you know they've made a decision right or wrong, to continue sheltering in place and to limit the numbers, um, but they haven't targeted Christians. And I think for us then to make this a targeting of Christians is actually only going to hurt the church. I think they're actually doing more damage to the church than saying, okay, you know what, as much as we want to meet together, um, it's wrong for us to defy at this point in time. Um, It it would be so different if, if if the order was churches can't meet, but everyone else can, mm-hmm. or if a church is going to meet, you cannot preach the gospel, then we're going to be like, well, we're not, this isn't a matter of defying. We're just going to keep doing what God's called us to do. Um, there are other issues at stake here. This is about health. This is about carefulness. This is about something that, quite frankly, I think we've seen that people think they know about, but don't know about, uh, people are worried about. Um, and, and the best thing for us to do is to follow the instructions of our governor. And if it ever does come to the point where um, they are targeting churches and it's, it's totally inappropriate, it violates God's word, then that's a place where we would have to say, okay, we have to have, to have a fresh look at this. So as of right now, we don't have plans on meeting on the 31st. However, I've heard, I could be wrong, but there may be some releasing of things that are taking place on that day anyway. Um, to what degree, I don't know. Having said that, um, it's going to be difficult for Gateway to meet soon. Let's just say the fog lifts on that Sunday, and every Sunday after that, you know, it starts lifting some more. Uh, we've been meeting in a school, mm-hmm. and right now the school is being worked on, so we have made plans to, to meet in another school. Uh, the problem is that probably the last institutions that are going to be open for the public to use are going to be the government institutions and in particular the schools. So even if there is freedom to meet, we 
still may not have a place to meet. And so we will likely um, try and do what we did the first Sunday, and that is meet in, in homes uh, you know, around different areas and have people kind of sign up for that particular home, and then uh, complement that with things that are happening after a live stream service that's going into these homes with, hey, we're going to meet at someone's home and you know, everyone can come, you can fellowship together, or we're gonna meet at a park, you know, based on whatever the, the rules and the laws might be. But we wanna bring that connectivity back in some creative ways. Um, and there's also some, some talk and some discussion about, you know, could we, could we uh, you know, meet in a church somewhere and not meet in the morning, but maybe meet at night, you know, if, they, if they're not using it at night. Mm -hmm. um, so we're looking at some of those options, but the, the, the point is, of the first part is, this is, this is not a, def, a defying moment by any means. Um, in fact, I think defying is actually dishonoring and it's, it's violating Romans 13. That would be my understanding of it. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to think through those things without looking at politics. Because you might think that, you know, this, this, is, this is all crazy and we shouldn't be under this. Okay, maybe that's true, but we are. And our leadership has said that this is what needs to take place. And they're not targeting us in particular. Um, so that would be our stance right now, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we want to be careful. We don't want to be caught up with, you know, a, 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 an undercurrent that is somewhat divisive and rebellious. When, in actual fact, we need to be submissive, rightly submissive, to our our government institutions as much as we can. Thank you, Pastor Ron. So. Let's go check what else we have, and, and there is also like connected to the church. Uh, it's inside our church uh, platform. Uh huh. So it's um, relationship with people, especially positive. Uh, give me a second. Yeah. So the people have sometimes difficult. Um, um, What is this question? Okay, here. I would like to inquire about gateway use of Realm. I have found Realm um, uh, to be problematic or buggy if there is a resistance to using a cheaper, more reliable service such as Facebook, which can do most, if not all, the same thing. So okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good question. And I think, uh, I, I think um, number one, is Realm buggy? You know, are there some quirks with it? I think I've experienced some of that. And I think learning a new platform for everyone can be kind of, kind of difficult. Um, so it, are we open to, to using other, other tools that might cost less and might seem better? Yeah, I, th I think we're open to that. Um, the reason we're using Realm uh, is as opposed to something like Facebook, um, uh, I think are, are for some for very clear reasons. Number one would be um, the privacy factor. Mm -hmm. um, you have to actually be able to log into Realm to be able to connect with people in Realm. Yeah, and um, we can actually also control the uh, what people post. We'll right. Control where information goes. Right. And who's looking information. Right. So there's a privacy factor. There's a control factor, right? Which we we wouldn't have. I mean, as people know, I you know, like on their Facebook. Well, I 
I put this video up, but it was taken down, you know. So, you know, when you're in Facebook, it's completely different. You're, you're, you're at someone else's whim, so to speak. Um, I also think there's, a, there's an appropriateness of, of what is posted on Facebook versus what would be posted on Realm. I mean, Realm is not the place to put your rant about what's happening in the government and things like that, okay? <laughs> you want to do that, go to Facebook and put your meme up there and whatever it might be, whether you're for Trump, against Trump, anti-COVID, for COVID, well, you wouldn't be for COVID, but you're, you know what I'm saying, you're, you're for restriction, whatever it might be. I mean, that's what happens on Facebook, right? And, and we don't want to kind of bring those together. We want to keep that separate. And I think that brings up a separate question of, you know, what are, what are your, social, um, your social platform practices? Um, that's not Realm. Realm is a place where God's people can connect. Um, God's people who are his church, gateway people can connect, can, uh, can share some, some good articles, some helpful things. But... Uh, there's been times when people have put stuff on Realm, and we've had to kind of, uh, you know, chat with them and say, "No, I don't think this is this is this is what we need to be doing here." And so they've, it's been taken off, you know. But we'll we'll talk to someone before that happens. So I just think there's some some unique things there. Um, I think it's it's community, um, and I, I think I th I think you know this is this is the people that are going to be at Gateway. This is why you're posting it. You know who's going to receive it. Um, I've actually really appreciated Realm because um, I, can, I can find out who the people are and what their addresses are and their phone numbers and that kind of stuff. So I use it personally to, to be able to communicate with people. Um, and I, I think part of the problem with Realm is that people have, have, are fear it oftentimes um, or um, are not involved necessarily in setting things up. So they don't have the, the privilege maybe of getting in there and, and creating things and that kind of stuff. Or their settings may not be right. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah, I mean, if there's a better tool, that's fine. I, I wouldn't think that Facebook would, would be it at all. Um, in fact, I would say absolutely not. Um, you're really opening yourself up in many ways. If that's going to be your basis of a platform, mm -hmm. um, I think Realm is, 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 is much better, even with its somewhat quirkiness. Um, yeah. You know, and, and what, truth be said, there's a lot of people that are on Realm but just don't do anything on Realm. Um, yeah, we would we would love to be able to see more interaction with um, with the church people in, in on Realm, um, but not the other thing is not everyone is um, enjoys getting on social media. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the tool that we found to be helpful. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm also. I want to add the uh, realm is a different platform it's especially for the church so the, yeah. for the purpose of a communication in in church inside the church group and also like there is uh, sometimes private information about prayers uh, sometimes about sickness so where people don't want to share like publicly on facebook and to right. everyone to know so and we also encourage if you're not on realm so this is the platform specific for the church body so where people can uh, get information about the activities in the church uh, news maybe prayer needs also you can share your prayer needs there and you will see you uh, there is a, a core group who is always kind of like uh, checking who's posting there and they're in support to pray for you 
So if you have some needs, you can post there and there is going to be a response. Not, not huge response, you can post something on Facebook because we are little in Gateway, not big church. But you will have a, a response from people who's actually praying for you, who's supporting you, who's kind of like uh, reflect on you. So we encourage uh, Gateway Bible Church to get on Realm and set up your notification. There is a really, uh, so feed is really updating. We're trying to keep updated on news, on events. There is always link to a home group. Uh, where you can also participate in our um, virtual Zoom uh, home groups, which is really fun. Yeah. I enjoy home groups. Yeah, I mean, we had 14 people all interacting this past Sunday night, and I know Ed has his coming up on Friday night, and some really good, helpful conversation and also connecting with people. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think I, think I would just encourage people to, to dig in a little bit more in Realm and find out, what they can do. I think if all you're doing is kind of jumping in and, and saying, all right, I'm signed up and you're kind of backing off, you're not, you're not benefiting from it as much as it, is, as it could be. And I realize it's another thing. It's another app on your phone. I, I get that. Um, but it is an app that's dedicated to our church. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're using it. And that's why we're trying to you know, communicate, disseminate information through Realm. And, um, you know, we, we want to get information out to you. So it really is important if you're on there. Yes. And also the, there is the one factor we use to uh, let your life be easier if you donate to our church by checks or in church, um, inside the church when we have like a gathering, you give by cash. So you can trace your giving right away and, and have all this upfront to you like it's we're accountable and you can see your giving right away on realm which is not possible with a platform which is not designed for right. to serve this purpose they can see it privately on yeah. realm right? yeah they can see it privately <laughs> so you can see your giving privately in your account so and and also like tra track your uh, giving you see your um, donations mm -hmm. so which is also uh, like uh, helpful because like with other platform you have to uh, track you have to save receipts but we, we're trying to make it uh, easier for you with mm -hmm. uh, even realm mm -hmm. so thank you for question and answer yep. <laughs> well. yes really really good question and so there is another uh, question we received just like right now about the um, relationship with people especially positive ones involve close personal interactions as christians we are to have an intimate relationship with god however i find this uh, this difficult as we can have a face-to-face -face conversation with god uh, studying his word help us to know him better but it is not the same can this gap be uh, breached? Well, I mean, it can be it can be breached. If I'm understanding the question, is can your relationship with God be more like face to face type thing, right? Mm -hmm. kind of, yeah. um, and so I I think yes, it can, but you got to be careful about what you mean by that that doesn't mean somewhat kind of mystical 
experiential. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think it, um, when you realize that what, what God is instructing us to do lays out for us, not simply by means of duty, we're not just reading our Bibles or praying simply by means of duty, we're, we're actually seeking then to delight in the Lord. Um, that delight, I think, is bridging that gap. I think, I think those tools are, are the mechanism where we are meeting God as face-to-face -face as possible as we can presently. So, mm -hmm. you know, blessed is a man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners uh, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but um, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law of the Lord, um, it, it, he, he'll be like this tree planted by the rivers of water. I, th I, th I think there's, there's depth. I think there's connectivity. I think there's intimacy going on there. And again, I don't, I don't think it's mystical. I think it's spiritual. I don't think it's mystical. I, I, th I think that the, the more you're, you're listening to God speak, which is what he's doing through his word, you are actually meeting him face to face in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, you may not see him, but you're hearing from him. And it's just like you were God speaking to me. I mean, you, he's speaking to us through his word. So it's how we perceive things. That God has something to say to me today when I open up his word is powerful. Or is it just, I want to say, a piece of literature that I'm, I'm studying, right? And I think it's easy to kind of drift off and to see it just as a piece of literature as opposed to being his living, breathing word, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I, I think maybe if, if, as this person's asked the question, I, th I think we all wrestle with this. Um, we're, we're wanting to be diligent to be faithful in the spiritual disciplines. But I, I think in, in the diligence, it's also good to back up a little bit and say, am I more focused about just getting through the discipline or am I actually pausing and, and meditating and thinking about the fact that I am having this conversation with God. He's speaking to me. I'm speaking back to him by the things I'm saying. I'm showing my allegiance to him by the things I'm doing. Um, there is something that's going on there that's, that's, that's not just kind of a distant thing. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, and I, I, I think that this is where some people do kind of fall into the ditch because they want something deeply experiential. So this is where, you know, you, you take a trip up to Yosemite and you find some mountain, you know, and I, I experience God there. And you probably did, you know, and, and, but you could do that in your living room, right? I mean, you could do that while you're cutting your grass. You can commune with God. That's the beautiful thing. You don't have to go to Yosemite to do it, you know. But then again, Yosemite is a beautiful place and everything's gone. And it's just you and nature. And I mean, so I understand that. Um, again, that's not necessarily experiential, but... It's removing the distractions so that you can hone in on what you need to hone in on. Um, so I, I think the, the individual needs to step back and think through what is it I'm doing? And then am I just doing this out of duty? And what does this actually look like? And mm -hmm. be careful that you're not, you're not longing for something that is more than what Scripture is actually saying that you are going to experience. Um, because you, that might put you into, into the mystical side of things, which is, you know, kind of I'm bypassing God's word. Mm -hmm. I'm going straight to God somehow, you know, hearing from him. And that's, when we start getting there, we're in dangerous territory. Okay, thank you.
Thank you for your questions and thank you for your answer, Pastor mm -hmm. And let's go to the, another question we have here. So uh, we were talking about Genesis 24, uh, 44. Okay. So people were talking about Genesis uh, and a few days ago. And it is a romantic story. Was this a special case? Does the Lord appoint a spouse for us today? Okay, so let's go back. Genesis 24 and verse, what, 44? 44. All right. So, simple principle of Scripture is never read a verse, right? <laughs> in other words, a verse in isolation. So let's just let's jump a little bit back here. And I notice just looking at the heading, this is Isaac and Rebekah, so this has got to be where... where um, the servant is going out on mm -hmm. behalf of um, uh, uh, Isaac to find a wife, right? So mm -hmm. I'll pick it up at verse 15. Uh, ba -ba -da -ba -da. No, it looks like you need to go a little bit further. So I'll go back to verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, Oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, and standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are, are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar and that I may drink and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden from whom no man had known, she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a, a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all the, his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahar. What, what were we supposed to fit? What was the key 44. verse there? 44. All right, so I'll jump down to verse 44. That's a long one. I'm not going to read all of that. All right. 44, it says, And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw from your camels also. Let her be the woman the Lord has appointed for my master's son. So this was the, this was the, the tool, the mechanism that he had determined was going to be the basis of determining God's will in finding a wife um, for Isaac. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I think so. 
Um, yeah. So the question is, is this, is this a unique situation or is this normative? And I would say, yes, this is a unique situation and no, this is, nor this is not normative. Uh, number one, um, we're not typically hanging around wells. Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> number two, we're not typically um, watering camels. In fact, I don't know there's anyone in our church has probably got camels in their backyard that they're trying to take care of. Um, and this is not the, the best way to go about finding a wife or a husband. I think it was a unique situation. Um, yeah, it is a beautiful story, and I think there's certainly some divine purposes there, but this is not a model for us. For example, let's bring this to the modern day. Let's we have a lady who's looking for a husband. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to say to her, go to Costco, fill your basket as full as you can, and get yourself a nice big TV to go on there too. And then as you're leaving, finally get to your car and just kind of stand there and wait. And the, the first guy that comes up and helps you load the stuff into the car, that's who God wants you to marry. I mean, that's, it's very, very similar to that, right? I mean, the sense of, mm -hmm. this, it's very commonplace, right? Um, that's not how we would encourage people to figure out how they're going to find a spouse. This is a very much a unique situation, right? I do think what's happening here, though, is that um, Rebecca is on display. Um, she certainly is a beautiful woman, but her beauty is not just in her appearance. And what we find here is that, um, that this interaction actually reveals her character. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point here of the servant. He was trying, he, he's wanting a woman with character to be the choice for, uh, for Isaac, right? So um, she was behaving like she would normally behave. She wasn't going to some kind of a meeting with potential in-laws putting her best foot forward. This is just what she did when she went to, you know, to, to, you know, to, to water her or to, to get the water. She's there to help others. And um, she's not just thinking about herself. She has a, a wonderful demeanor. She has a, a heart for other people. She's kind. She's gentle. She's, she's gracious. Um, those are the things that are attractive. So I think there's some things we can certainly learn about what are you looking for? And principles would be like, you know, have you seen this person in their normal circumstance in life? Or are they just putting their best foot forward to somehow impress you? Right? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think it's normative. And I think we need, actually need to be really careful to avoid taking a, um, um, something that's descriptive and making it a prescription mm -hmm. um, that this is what we ought to do. It's, I mean, it's, it's like, jump to David and Goliath. You know, we don't go out and get a sling with five stones. And, you know, it, it, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. the, the point is, what is that person doing in that context that is, that is showing us what's important? Um, so, no, this is, a, this is a unique situation. Rebecca's character is really the focus. Um, but I'll say this, that beauty certainly helps, right? Character is wonderful, but, you know, you don't, you don't walk down the street and look like, oh, oh look at that. She's got a lot of character. I mean, there's a, there's a dynamic where, where, you know, physical attractiveness is there. But don't be fooled by physical attractiveness. Mm -hmm. In today's society, um, there's all sorts of doctoring going on, both by guys and gals. And what's far more important than that is character. Um, do they have a, a, a character that 
is honoring and glorifying to God, wanting to serve Him, it's going to be it's going to be demonstrated in the mundane things of life, and that's that's what you want to be able to see as much as you can. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much. Yep. So we have a little more. Uh, so there is no in chat, uh, no question in chat. Oh, you know what? I, that the, the, I see? There was a second part to that question. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was, you know, should we follow the same kind of thinking today? Does the, Does the Lord, Lord appoint a spouse for us today? In other words, is there just one person yeah, um, yeah. that God has for us? You know, we've got to find that person, and we mm -hmm. don't know where they're at, so we go on this. It's it's almost kind of like a, you know the knight in shining armor has to go and on this quest to find this this woman, right? And I, I think we got to be really really careful. All right. Yes, ultimately, I think God has a particular person, but you don't know who that particular person is. And quite frankly, you're not going to know who that particular person is fully until you're looking them in the eye, saying, I do. And the moment you say, I do, that is the God. That is the woman, or that's the man that God has chosen for you. And I think, I think otherwise, we've got to be careful, because then people say, well, you know, that person was the person I should have married, and I'm, you know, I'm giving up on this. I'm not going to marry anyone else. And I don't think that, that, that functions in life. I don't think God wants us to think that way. We could get very bitter. Um, we could be hopeless. Um, and I, th I think we need to, to, to realize that there's, there's actually some freedom. There's some choice that we may have that's within the boundaries of honoring the Lord. And... Um, uh, so I just think we need to be careful. Now, there's, there's a tool that I have. God-given tool is giving you four fingers. So let's just imagine you have, you know, if, you know this four ladies that you're considering you want to you know, marry. You just hit hard, right? And whichever one throbs the most, that's the one God wants you to marry. Okay? So it, it's, it, it's, it's a one, you can use this in your, in your multiple choice tests, all that kind of stuff. It's a great tool. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yes. Uh, well, that's, that's the one thing people are going to remember right now. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> okay. But if you want to try, try hard. <laughs> okay. So let's, uh, there is another, another <laughs> yeah, question. Yeah. Uh, there is some uh, debate about whether or uh, not churches should participate in communion online, or if that even possible since we're not physically together. Can you go into more details on Gateway View? Yeah, I mean, I've tried to address this um, in particular on the Sundays when we've, we've had communion uh, to say that there is some difference of opinion out there from good, like-minded brothers um, and churches that are just, they're just, there's landing differently on this. Some would take a real, what I would say is a very tight position um, that says, uh, since we are not gathering together physically, uh, we should not be celebrating the Lord's Supper. So they've chosen not to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, and uh, then, there are, then there are those, actually I would say on the other extreme, because um, I think this one here can be extreme. Um, the other, the other one would, would be, um, oh yeah, we can do it, you know, and it, you know, it just, 
let's just let's just do it. Well, just get whatever you have. Get you know whatever kind of cups you need, and get whatever kind of liquid you need, and you know whatever kind of crackers you want. It's not a big deal, you know. And, and I, it's like no, 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 no. I think both of those are, in my opinion, extremes. Um, I I do think that when we are gathering together via live stream, I know we're not physically present, but during this time, it is the most united and together that we can be. And because that is the case, I, I think there is actually a togetherness going on there. And we've been very, very careful to say, um, we, uh, we want to make sure that we take this very seriously and that uh, fathers, you know, if there's, if there's a father in the, in the context of that, that home, uh, fathers, you need to be leading this. Um, uh, you know, make sure the elements are prepared ahead of time uh, and, and so, and then when we, when we do it, we stand. So we're trying to make sure that this is not something we're doing kind of in a, in a flippant kind of carefree way. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not the ideal, but it is the best that we can do right now. And, I, and um, you know, the, the passage in 1 Corinthians, I think, is compelling. Um, and I, I'm going to kind of make the argument for the other side here, and that would be the, those that say, no, don't do us, because the whole context in 1 Corinthians is, you know, uh, beginning of verse 17 of chapter 11. But in the following instructions, uh, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better um, or for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, and this expression, when you come together, is throughout this whole passage on the Lord's Supper. So the question now is, is gathering together via live stream um, sufficiently coming together? And I think where we've landed the plane is saying, yes, mm -hmm. it is sufficiently gathering together. Um, it's sufficiently gathering together that we are actually proclaiming the word of God on a Sunday morning to a congregation that might be spread out, but are gathered together with the technology and, and, and the means by which God has given us for us to be as together as possible in this context. Um, we are praying together. We are singing together. So I think there's a togetherness there. Yet there is that physical togetherness that we're lacking. So you might argue, say, well, wasn't this a love feast? And you know, didn't they do this at the end of the love feast? And it's like, yes, I understand. Those are some issues there. Um, but usually when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're not having a love feast. We're having the Lord's Supper. We're having this, this symbolic ceremony um, that is something that we need. Um, and... You know, um, I, I, I totally respect guys that say, you know, we're, we're going to fast um, from the Lord's Supper until we can get out of the COVID-19. Um, okay, that's fine. But I, I just don't think that's necessary. Um, and that's a choice you make. That's fine. But I don't think it's necessary. And I think actually what is necessary is to um, celebrate the Lord's Supper together because it is through the Lord's Supper that we're reminded once again of the beauty and the glory of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And people need that. Uh, people need that while they're going through the kind of struggles they're going through right now. And to not give that to me would be um, uh, a, a means by which we are holding back what people should have and experience um, as they are fellowshipping with the body. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have personal friends that are not doing it, and they have a strong conviction about it, and, and we are, and I have a strong conviction about it. But we don't want to be flippant with it. We want to be respectful. We want to make sure that we're doing it well. 
Um, so that's, that's how we're processing through this. Okay? Yeah, thank you. So, and looks like we have the last question for tonight. Well, we can answer. Uh, should the unemployed tight? What about those in debt? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so should an unemployed person tithe? What about those in debt? I don't think someone's, someone's circumstance in life, in debt, unemployed, relinquishes their responsibility to be faithful in their giving. Let me back up a little bit and just say this. Um, when we use the expression to tithe, that can mean different things to different people, right? Um, some people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a tither. If you actually want to be a tither based on the pattern in the Old Testament, you're actually going to be giving in the offering plate 23.5% um, of your income or all, all that God has prospered you. Because there were actually three tithes in the Old Testament. Um, Two of them were taken every year. One was taken every three years. And that's where we get 23.5%, right? So if you really want to be that tither, you're giving 23.5%. I don't think um, that there's a high percentage of people in the church that are doing that kind of thing. New Testament is giving as God has prospered you. It's grace giving. Yet we do have this principle from the Old Testament that uses the expression of a tithe. And so that's kind of... It's kind of a, a barometer, so to speak, um, or a litmus test as to how much should we be seeking to give God from what God has given us. So having kind of laid that out there to say that we are not tithers necessarily, but we're using the language of tithe to reflect that 10%. Um, the issue isn't whether you're unemployed or whether you're in debt. The issue is what are you doing with what God has prospered you with. So, unemployed. Is this person unemployed and has no income? Well, if you have no income, you have nothing to tithe. Are you unemployed but re receiving unemployment benefits? Well, then you have something to tithe. Okay? You have something to give from. See, there's a difference there. Mm -hmm. The person who is unemployed but... Um, is not receiving an income, and they might have a friend that says, hey, listen, I know that you're in need. You know, here's $100 to help you out. In my estimation, a, a Bible-believing Christian is going to say to themselves, ah, God has prospered me, and because I want to give glory to God, I'm setting aside a portion of that. In my mind, that would be 10%, and I'm going to give that to the Lord by means of giving it to the church. Okay? That would be giving as God has prospered you. He's prospered you with the $100, then give that. So, yeah, a, a, a person who is unemployed, who is receiving some kind of prosperity, um, in the form of money in particular, can continue to, to give, mm -hmm. all right? Obviously, if they have no money coming in, then no, all right? Um, so I just think there's a principle there of as God is prospering you, Give. As God is prospering you, give. And look, my wife and I have gone through some lean times. And God has been very, very kind and gracious to us. And people have, have, have given us you know, checks every now and then, you know, years ago when we went through those times. And we would, we would be so thrilled with it. But we're like, 
we have to praise God with what we have. We, you know, we could take the whole amount and apply it to something, or we could take the whole amount less that, that tithe amount and say, well, we're going to give that to the Lord. It's, it's, it's a mentality. It's a spiritual discipline to say, this is the Lord's. Just, you just, it, it is, all right? Now the person who's in debt, it's a little bit more of a difficult question. Mm-hmm. If a person who's in debt goes to a financial planner and says, hey, I need help trying to figure out how I can get out of this debt, one of the first things they're going to look at is, oh, charitable giving. All right, oh, you're giving 10%? What in the world are you doing that for? You know, you could be paying off debt with this. True. Um, but there may be other things going on in that person's life. Maybe they should get rid of their cable. Maybe they should, um, they should walk and take a bus rather than pay insurance and have a car. I mean, there's all sorts of things that you can say this person could be looking at. Um, if a person is in debt, I think it's good to find someone who's another believer who, who understands what it means to walk with God and say, look, here, I want to get out of debt, but I want to honor God in the process. What does that look like? How can I do that? That's one of the reasons why elders are, are part of the church. They're there to help. We're, we're not after your money. We are eager for your faithfulness to the Lord. Okay, that, those are two different things, right? Yeah. And we want you to work at um, paying off your debt, but at the same time honoring God with what he has prospered you with. And um, so there, there may be some other things that need to take place there, but I think the person who's in debt should still be giving graciously to the church. Now, we don't run around policing people's giving. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't chase you down. You know, you're, you didn't give a tithe this week. You know, what's up with that? Now, there were churches that used to do that kind of stuff because people would say, oh, this is what I'm going to commit to for the year, and then, hey, you didn't, you didn't meet your commitment. That's mm-hmm. not what we're doing. The only time that we would interact with the finances that someone has in their giving is to ask the question if someone is stepping into a position of leadership, in particular to become an elder or a pastor of the church. And we would ask the question, is there a pattern, habit, a demonstration that this person is a gracious uh, giver with the resources that God has given them? And the person who's the bookkeeper is going to be like, yeah, there is, or no, there isn't. And we would have to investigate that. We're not, we're not chasing, we're not policing this necessarily. This is, this is an issue of the heart. But I'm giving an answer that I believe reflects what Scripture, scripture teaches. I, I do wonder sometimes whether or not we, we find ways to justify us not giving. And that, that would be a, a, that's a heart concern for me. Um, I think one of the things also that is concerning is that sometimes in churches, People fall into some categories. There are those who are, who, who, who are gracious givers, and then there are those who are tippers. You know? And they kind of they, they tip the church a little bit. So they might throw 20 bucks in the offering plate when what they should be throwing in is considerably more. And so they've kind of satisfied themselves by saying, well, I'm just I'm doing my part. I just want to encourage the body of Christ to, to think through what they're doing with their finances and make decisions based on biblical truth so that you're not putting yourself in a position where you're in such great debt. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I mean, property taxes are going up and also, you know, rent's going up. I mean, it's there's things that are happening. I totally get that. Um, but honoring God with what you have is a priority. And um, I would encourage 
you know, the person who's asking the question or others that may be listening and thinking this through, um, you know, are we, are we holding back? Could we be giving more? And I'm not saying that because, you know, Gateway's going to benefit from it. I'm, I'm more concerned about that person's faithfulness to the Lord and their growth in Christ-likeness. I do think, I do believe that faithfulness in giving um, does kind of pave the way for, for, uh, for, for God to be at work in ways that maybe he, otherwise he wouldn't. And by that, I don't mean health, wealth, and prosperity. I think there's an obedience factor. And that, that through obedience, God brings, um, brings about his purposes, right? And um, so I, I think, yeah, I think people who are in debt need to find ways to, to say, we need to, we need to make sure this is a priority. Um, and, uh, and I think also it helps to step back and to say, on a practical level, me withholding has an impact on the church that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the other thing is, maybe you don't have the finances to, to, to give. Maybe, you know, you are, you are unemployed, you don't have any income coming in. Well, then you can still give to the Lord in other ways. You can give time, you can give, um, you can give your gifts. There, there are other things that you can do. But um, I, I do think that we need to, to kind of notch up our priority for uh, being faithful to God with our finances. Mm-hmm. And our culture balks at that, does not like that, and many in the church don't like that. So even me saying that for some people might be kind of bristling right now, but I think... That's the teaching of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, thank you, Pastor Rod, mm-hmm. for all your questions. We have one. Uh, they ask for advice. Uh, can we go through this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, there's what's one advice you can give to a teen professing believer who just graduated high school and will leave home to attend college? Um, <clears throat> do your homework and find a church and make that a priority. Now I realize sometimes that can be difficult because the church may be away from the college, you may not have transportation, but find some way that you're getting plugged into um, uh, Christian life. The campus ministries are helpful, but campus ministries are not a replacement. They're not a substitute for the body of Christ. So that to me would be the, the most important thing, you know, even if, if it's a Christian college or it's a secular college, um, seek to find a church that you can go to and um, you can not only go to and attend, but even get involved in, um, and not even just on a Sunday morning, but you may be involved in other kinds of ministries. So that to me I think is really important and that, that way you have, you have local accountability. Um, I, I understand it's hard. It's hard, but I think it's I think it's important, um, and I think one of the one of the dangers out there is if you're going to a Christian school, you think, well, I'm you know I might have chapel every day, or you know I might be getting Christian instruction. You know, church is kind of eh, no, you uh, probably one of the the easiest places to fall away from the Lord is on the campus of a Christian college. Mm-hmm. All right, and so you definitely need to to get to get plugged in in that. Um, if for some reason that that is difficult, you can't do that. Then I would just recommend, you know, staying uh, staying up to date with what we're doing at Gateway. Um, you know, by listening to to, to, to the sermons, uh, interacting whatever way, whatever way you can. But 
But to me, that's, that's a key priority, is, is find a church that you can go to, you can attend, do your homework ahead of time. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the first thing. Um, I think secondly, it is um, just be determined and develop a habit of personal quiet time and uh, walk with God. So your Bible reading, your, your time of prayer, um, you're going to be confronted with things. You're going to be probably confronted with roommates or, or people on campus who think, oh, what are you doing? You know, it's weird. But um, live it out. Don't be afraid to live it out. And especially those first couple of weeks are going to mark you as to where you are. Mm -hmm. You know, say, boom, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, and this, you know, these are the things that I'm interested in. Here's my passion. Um, and, my, and, and it might come with some, some mocking and some laughter, but I, I, think, I think those are two things that are really important for you that will be an anchor for you. Third would be um, choose really good friends who are also followers of Christ in that context. People that you can bear your soul with if you need to or um, talk about the challenges of what it means to, to be on a campus that is ungodly but um, you know I just I think those would be three things you know find a church uh, determined to, to to hang in there with your own personal walk and good godly friends to be a part of the mix of, of who you're hanging out with don't isolate yourself you know be a friendly person but develop those relationships with people that um, you also know are, are seeking to walk with God okay thank you mm -hmm. I hope uh, Pastor answered all your questions and uh, if there is more we will have maybe another time where we can ask uh, Pastor Ad or our elders. So we will try to communicate with other elders for the next time. Maybe they will contribute to the, our discussion and they can like, make some maybe more interaction. So do we want to just mention here that on Sunday we're going to try something different? Um, with our church service. Um, not, not so much our church service, but afterwards. Um, basically, after I say amen, within the next five minutes or so, um, there's going to be a, a Zoom gathering for whoever wants to gather. And it can be a, you know, a download of just maybe some things that, that impacted you from the sermon, um, or maybe just from the service, um, or just an opportunity to say hello and to wave and to chat. But the idea is, you know, when we think about when we're done with our services on Sunday, um, you know, a lot of times people are, are gathering, they're chatting, they're talking, they're fellowshipping afterwards. And we just thought, let's build that in there for those that want to. Um, we can have some people just carrying chairs back and forth, you know, just so that it feels like it would be on a Sunday morning. Um, but uh, maybe some, some blue tape thrown, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but no, the, the point is just to connect, um, and it doesn't have to be long. I think we're thinking, you know, 20 minutes to half an hour, and half an hour might be too long, but just a, a moment to connect. I'll be there, um, and uh, we're just trying to add a different dynamic, just so that we can see each other, okay? So if you haven't been on Zoom, if you haven't interacted with us, this might be an opportunity to do that. Um, Friday is home group with Ed Bassard, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't been a part of home group, uh, just jump on in. Uh, we have people come to our home group that haven't typically been a part of our home group. It's been great, um, really enjoying kind of fellowshipping together. 
I do think that one of the things that is going to be really helpful as we kind of come out of this fog is the ministry of hospitality. Mm. And what I mean by that is maybe we're not going to be able to, to meet in groups of 20, but maybe there's going to be a freedom to meet in groups of 10. And you can purposely then say, you know what, let's invite so-and-so over for a meal. Let's have them in our home. Maybe join with the service with them or at least meet them for a, a meal afterwards. But, but think about how God can use you um, to allow your home to be a platform for ministry. And I can't think of a, of a better opportunity than kind of the beginnings of this unfolding um, kind of fog being lifted from our, our shelter in place. So just be thinking about, about that. Um, hospitality is such a biblical um, concept and a wonderful practice. And um, just take advantage of that. I want to encourage you to think through it. Even start thinking through now. Who would be on the list? Who would we invite? Now, I realize you don't have the, the numbers to work with, but um, that would be a really great way to, to think through what you can be doing on a practical level. All right? Thank you. Yes, follow us on, uh, on the website, gatewaylife.org. There is a live stream on Sunday, so you can watch us and follow us and receive the God word um, and worship Him. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. Also, um, we're back in Exodus on Sunday, and we're doing the, the what, plague 7, 8, and 9. And so it's a long text. I just encourage you to read it ahead of time. It will really help you out, I think, when we actually get into the, the sermon on Sunday. Okay, so um, anyway, looking forward to seeing you then. God bless you.